First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 620 of First Class Fatherhood. I'm Alec Lace. Happy, as always, to be here with you guys. First Class Fatherhood, of course, now is a part of the family-made media network with First Class Father Andrew East and his wife, Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson. And joining me on the podcast today is another Olympic gold medalist, Bodie Miller. Bodie Miller absolutely dominated the world of downhill or alpine skiing for many years. He's a multiple-time gold medal world champion. He's an Olympic gold medal champion as well. He really just crushed it on the slopes. But nothing in his life could have prepared him or his family uh, for the blow that was dealt to them when they lost one of their children in a drowning accident. How in the world do you recover from something like that as a father, as a mother, uh, when you have other children to raise and everybody grieves in different ways? We all face loss, but there is no greater loss on this planet than the loss of a child. I've had quite a few dads uh, on the podcast here that have unfortunately had their children die in one way or another. And I just think sharing your stories of how you're able to cope with or grieve or or somehow uh, pick up the pieces and try to just inspire others that are going through similar tragedies. Uh, I think is very beneficial. So I think Bodie Miller sharing his story, being vulnerable, uh, I think it definitely help some of you guys out there that are dealing with whatever kind of loss it is in your life, maybe to get a little bit of a better perspective. I know it definitely helped me when I went through the loss of uh, both of my parents. Uh, so it definitely helps to hear other people who have been there and been through what you're going through. So I'm, I'm honored that Bodie Miller is joining me on the podcast today. And we do take a deep dive into all that uh, so my my conversation with Bodie Miller is coming straight ahead. And if you want to watch today's interview, it is available on my YouTube channel, First Class Fatherhood. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. Also, I hope you'll flip it back one episode and take a listen uh, to my interview with Amanda Knox and her husband, Christopher Robinson. Amanda Knox, of course, became the subject of a media firestorm in 2007 when she was falsely accused of murdering her roommate in Italy. Uh, She was tried, convicted, did almost four years in an Italian prison before, uh, of course, being retried and ultimately acquitted on all charges. It was a fascinating interview. Uh, Her and her husband have a child uh, themselves. And how do you move on from something like that? I mean, talk about overcoming a tragic circumstance and moving forward with your life. So if you want, go back. I highly recommend you check out that interview as well. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming episodes. But coming your way right now, my interview with Bodie Miller on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, Joining me now, First Class Father, Bodie Miller. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. All right, let's start like this here. How many kids do you have? How old? We have eight children. Uh, My oldest is my daughter, 14. Then we have nine-year-old boy, Nate, seven-year-old boy, Nash. Our daughter would have been five. She passed away in 2018. Um, We have a three-year-old boy, Easton, Identical twin boys at two, Axel and Asher, and a youngest daughter, Scarlett Olivia, who is eight months old. Wow, yeah, and I got four kids myself, and people always ask me, like, oh, man, four kids, that's crazy. You doubled what I got there, so uh, unbelievable. Are you guys all done now, or are we still looking for more? We're going to go for the whole baseball team here. (laughs) Theoretically, yes, I did have a procedure um, to manage that, but you never know. Who knows, right? Like. The will of the world but yeah theoretically we are done we both feel i think very uh complete with this i think we 
we certainly obviously wish we didn't have to go through losing a, a child, but with the identical twin boys and then our daughter, I think we're at a really good place and certainly we're overserved in, in, in one sense, but, um, yeah, amazing. I mean, we, we couldn't be happier, both of us. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to jump more into your fatherhood journey in a second, but if you could, just for those that don't know, if you could hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, I was a, um, a skier, uh, really from birth, honestly. And, and, uh, but an athlete in general, I played soccer and tennis and, and baseball and hockey and everything. Um, snowboarded, I snowboarded from the very beginning of snowboarding. It was probably one of my better sports when I was younger, but, um, managed to make the U S ski team right after high school and, and, uh, raced on the ski team from 1997. Uh, I made it in 96 really, but 97 till 2017. So 20 years of world cup skiing, which is certainly too much. Five Olympics. Um, I had six Olympic medals and five world championship medals, a, a bunch of golds. I won the overall world cup twice and, uh, six, uh, individual category titles and world cup competition. So, um, had a really pretty, I would call it comprehensive <laughs> world cup career, my professional career and, uh, met my wife in 2012 and, uh, knew right when I met her that she was the one, um, and, uh, told her that more or less right away, which freaked her out, but then ultimately, uh, locked that down. And here we are, you know, 10 plus years later, and uh enjoying family life it's you know yeah as a father i think every father will identify like you lose your identity in a way but you also gain an identity that's more intrinsic in a way like i don't everyone's like do you yeah you're like the skier like superstar and i'm like no i'm nate's dad i'm nash's dad like that's how i'm identified people are like oh you're nate's dad i'm like yep that's 90 percent of my life now is that i'm someone else's person not my own name, not, nothing about what I've done. I'm simply that person. And that's, I think it's really healthy. I think it's, it's humbling in a way, but also identifies where your priorities are. So it's great. Yeah, very well said. And I know I remember reading uh, with, your, with our four, the only one we waited to find out at the end was uh, our third child, which ended up being our third boy. We got our girl on the fourth try. If not, I'd be catching up to you, but we got her on the fourth try. So we locked that down, but we found out for the other ones, what we were having. And I read that you um, were waiting on the name for your daughter to figure out what you were going to, what the name was. Gonna, we did that with our third one. We didn't wait that long, but we I mean, we didn't know right away. Uh, did you guys know what you were having? Or did you wait to find out? And what was the process there? We're picking a name. No, we did a gender reveal um, prior to the birth. I, I'm a big fan of waiting. Honestly, like I like the surprise. My wife, not so much. We did with Nash, one of our boys. And then she was like, no, that was crazy. So she found out ever since then. But then with this last one, I think we, the only reason after identical twins that we actually intended to have another kid with how much we had going on was we both separately had this pretty intense feeling that we were going to have a girl, that it was what we needed to do. We had to do it, like do it. It went separately. I didn't, I had it first. I didn't say anything. She had it separately. She couldn't not say it. So she said it to me and I said, honestly, I've had the same thing. And so without any intervention, obviously it felt right for us to have a girl. And, but we did have a gender reveal and we did it on, uh, uh NBC was there and it was honestly one of the most extreme moments of my life. As much as I've gone through, I've done a lot of stuff. 
I was so confident it was a girl. Like I was done. I was like, it's a girl, 100%. Then I'm standing there with, you know, one of my boys in my arms and I have this confetti cannon and there's probably 80 people all with confetti cannons right outside our house in California. Cameras all on us. We're doing the big reveal. And the moment they did five, four, and the moment right before I turned that confetti cannon, I had this like surreal, like, oh my God, this could be blue. Like if this shoots out blue, this party just cratered. Like we were going to have the most awkward, like, and it really was going to fall on me. I was going to be like, yay, woo. <laughs> like it was like, it was only like a half a second. It was like at one and I went like this and I was like, oh my God. And then it went pink and everything went awesome and everybody was super psyched and we were all crying. And But that moment I think is probably the most appropriate microcosm of what being a parent is, which is like, you think you got it all shit down, nailed. And then at any moment you have those little realizations like, whoa, wait a second. Like this could go completely sideways on me. Like, yeah, it was, I think it was a perfect way for us to kind of finish that part of it. Very well said. And yeah, those moments are so few in your lifetime that you get to have those feelings. And I remember like for, for our, my wife is like yours, wanted to find out for each one. I was able to get uh, with our third child to, to wait to the end. But for our fourth, we had our boys sit down and they opened up the envelope and they told us what we were having. And that was when we got our girls. But those moments, man, they really are. There's something special. And uh, they, they really do stick with you. And I'm curious for you, because I know with my kids, the four of them, one of the most important things to them is that individual time that they get to spend with either dad or mom. And it's so important to them. So we try to carve that out, whether it just be a walk to the store or something like that. It means the world to them. How do you guys kind of with eight or with, with, with all the kids that you have now, how do you kind of balance that out? Do you make sure you get individual one on one time with each of them? Yeah, well, I think my wife and I are both um kind of call it students of the game right we both in our own way really intend to be the best we can so we read about it we read books we talk to people we we look at blogs we but the reality is there's just not a lot out there for eight kids it's just not so at a certain point i think we've come to now this place of like do what you can and like we would love we we went through a whole phase where like we got to have like breakfast, you know, date with our daughter before she goes to school, you know, and this one will be with our oldest boy before he goes to school. And now it's become like just these moments where you really try to hyper engage, whether they're individual and they're in there alone or they're in a group, but you really kind of are right there with them. Like you just, you forget all your own shit and just immerse right in what they want to do. You just subject yourself to whatever, environment they're in which is crazy because they're they're mad they live in their imagination 90 percent of the time it has nothing to do with rain or sun or like work or anything else and i think that's been really good it's just like trying to plug in when you can because we're so overmatched right there's no way we're going to have what you would call quality time like a block of it with each kid you know on a daily or even weekly basis it's just it's just a it's a absolute zoo so but those moments where we actually do engage in just something regular, whether it's, you know, and a lot of it is honestly now with a daughter, the way she is, she's so compelling for all the boys. They all dote on her and they want to like 
they just like tickling her or like feeding her or something like that. That moment is as good for that as anything else because they can see our approval of that. And it's like these little moments of that little connection of like, they know that we are all theirs, but there's somebody else involved. And that's where the twins are the same and um, really are, I would say, all the boys. I mean, they they all are pretty easy in that sense that like as long as they know you're there and you care and you're really right in the moment, not distracted at all, no like other shenanigans, it, it has that incredible value. And, you know, I, we are the first to admit that like we are toddlers in the process. And unfortunately, we wish there was some, you know, warp zone where you could go down a little tube and pop up somewhere else, but you earn that over years and years of experience. So we're just grinding away, but it's been really, it's been really rewarding to see the dynamics of how much harder it gets when you have eight, but also how the interactions and connections between them also fulfill them in the same way that you hope to as like, if you had one and there's two parents, right? You're hyper paranoid about like, how do we give this little person all that they need? And then you see all of a sudden with this many, they're all giving it to each other all the time. And doing things we couldn't do even if we only had two or three. And that, that I think is, is an amazing kind of, um, you know, again, pretty humbling in a way. And like also highlights where your limitations are because we both have lives, but, um, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Great, great stuff, Bodie. And for my wife and I going from two to three was really the most challenging for us just because our older two, they weren't, you know, old enough to be self-sufficient, change themselves, bathe themselves. So adding the infant into that became like that. I always say like that first year became one long day. Yeah, uh, it was the most challenging. What would you consider of all the change that you went from which kid to the next? What number would you say was the most challenging for your wife and yourself? I think going going from five to seven. So the twins, because they're identical twin boys and we had, you know, this stack right above there and we were also just still i mean honestly it never goes away losing a child like we're still mourning now we're still we deal with it all the time we have our picture up right next to me here on the in the bedroom so it would that was a really tricky one because she was pregnant with our son easton who's actually right here you can't see him but um when when we lost emmy so the older ones kind of had a separation there where they were more self-sufficient and they were required to be that because we had this mourning period where we couldn't really do what we needed to be doing to support them, but they could support each other in a way. And then we had this younger crew that was, you know, a baby just born and then right away twins right after that. So that load, I think having three under two, you know, under a year and a half, was the most for us, but also because of the circumstance. And, and, you know, I think it was probably, you know, in the grand scheme of things, really good because it required us to both really re-engage. Like there was no coasting. One younger kid after losing a child, we probably could have had that like somewhat distancing ourselves, protecting, right? There's an emotional need to protect yourself from anything there because you lose a child it like literally tears out a part of your heart and like now do you want to reconnect with another child and like you can't help you have to and you but so it like forced that we were we were mandatory like full immersion and that that i think 
created a lot of closure for us in terms of the mourning period. While we still mourn our daughter, it was like we remember her now as we want to versus actually consciously or like proactively mourning her. It, it just, there was no time. It was by like the cuckoo bird, right? Like we, they, it pushed, it pushed that mourning period out. And now we're in a more healthy period for how we deal with the loss of our daughter and engage with our kids. Yeah. And, and Bodie, obviously, I mean, I've had several other dads on the show that have unfortunately uh, had to bury their children. And it's the most horrific thing to think about as a dad and just dealing with loss. Like I lost both of my parents before I became a father myself. My brother just died a few months ago. Uh, dealing with loss is different the way it affects the family. When during the loss of your daughter, I knew you mentioned there you couldn't really be there for how you needed to be there for your other kids. How did they deal with the loss of your daughter? Uh, you say you're in mourning. Are they still mourning? Are they still working their way through? So what what has the process been like for you being a father to those to your other kids uh, in during the loss of your daughter? Yeah, it's 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 hard to say, really. I mean, you know, I think they were probably my greatest um, anchor or tool because they continue. They just don't have the same, I guess, perspective or or baggage maybe that we do. They 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 knew it and they felt it and they suffered and you could see that they suffered. But they just more like chronological time worked differently for them because they're so young, right? Their chronological time is this big, so a month for them was like a huge part of their life, and they were like, okay, that was a terrible thing. Now let's move on. Whereas for us proportionally, it's a very tiny period of time. And my wife and I, I think we'll be mourning really for the rest of our lives. But but it's it was, I think, really valuable to have that perspective around us all the time, because we saw that progression. It was it was a really healthy thing. Like you could see it like they were sad. They recognized it, but they continued. And that's what we all need to do. Right. None of us are making it out of this without losing somebody Right. As you said, like, and I, I feel sorry for you for your losses, but it's we all are going to do that. And it's not the last of ours for our, for our family either. So um, I think it was really a, a, an amazing circumstance for me and my wife to see as much as I kind of felt it and knew what we should be doing. It was right in front of our face. It was like, guys, life goes on. Yeah, it's a it's a nut punch. Right. Like, talk about like under the under the ribs like straight up like you got the wind knocked out of you breathe it out and then move on like there's just nothing else to do and that's you know you have to honor the people that that pass away but it's just the natural process so i think for us that was really cool to see our kids as a role model and that's right i mean what better thing than as a parent to have your kids be a role model when they're just tiny little kids but they still truly have an influence on you because you're so out of your element we were both talk about turning your world upside down right we i wouldn't say we were cocky but like we kind of felt like we had our shit together you know and then that happens and you're like oh my god like could somebody rip the rug out from under you and then you have to look to whoever and our children were the best example of how to continue and live through it so yeah yeah beautifully said yeah and, and god bless you i mean i know i just as a, it's a place that as a parent you don't even allow your imagination to go away. Yeah. It's, it's just and you should you should see but, somebody but is worth considering, right? Like it's one of those things that we always try to say now, right? Is you there's lots of things that are scary, and scary is not the criteria you want to use. You want to use danger. What is the danger, right? What is the actual things? And we both regret not 
doing more research and seeing what is the number one cause of death for kids? What's number two? What's number three? We lost ours to number one. Number one cause of death for kids under that age is drowning. We've never heard of that. Like, of course we know drowning, right? Everybody does. But like, if we knew that, I think we would have approached it differently. So that is that little bit. But yeah, I, I know as a father, I don't want to scare anybody. But man, you do have to look at the difference between danger and risk, right? Like, you know, when you're afraid, that doesn't mean that that's the most likely thing. We're all afraid. I'm afraid of formula and all these other things, right? But like having some context to view what is the risk to your children is really valuable. Yeah, great stuff. And I know it just maybe it's because you don't want to face that kind of reality. I know my wife and I, we, we did our life insurance policies and we we're doing all that. And you start to think about your own mortality. But then when they start saying about your kids, you're like, well, let's not even open that chapter up yet. Yeah. You know, so I think more of that is like it'll never happen to me kind of mentality. And then uh, until it does. And but shifting gears here too, with all the kids there, I'm curious what type of disciplinarian you are as a father. And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Yeah, you know, I grew up weird right my family my parents were both super hippies really relaxed um you know it was kind of i would say limited but but structured stuff like you just don't lie i never really had a i wasn't compelled to lie i was an exaggerator because i was a boy so i would exaggerate about things i did or stories i told but like if it was a thing that i you know they they were good at that and me and my wife just had this conversation the other day about how do you define that right like we have five boys you don't think boys are going to exaggerate like is that a lie yes it is but is that the lie that we're talking about no it's not like a lie is where you deceive someone about something that actually happened and you twist that in a way to benefit yourself or avoid something and so you know we have a kind of balanced i would say disciplinary schedule or, or process, which is, I'm very gentle. I love my kids. I give them lots of leeway. But when I lay down, if I yell, or if I even raise my voice a tiny bit, they know they snap to Morgan is more like, she starts the day at 11. She wakes up, like, very often, I wake up and I look over and she's scowling at me. And I'm like, Whoa, what happened? She's like, you cheated on me in my dream. And I'm like, you know, like that, that's a normal wake up for her, right? Like she wakes up at like, bam. And so she's kind of that regular routine, like, Hey, get your shit to do this, do that. And then if something goes sideways, I step in and I'm kind of the final hammer. Um, but man, is it a crazy process to try to figure out? Cause the reality is they mostly discipline themselves and you, you try to set moral guidelines, but they're their own person and they, they figure it out. So I think we have a funny, uh, I would say somewhat passive in a way, but I don't know, maybe healthy process of like discovering with them. I think both of us are willing to admit that like we discover how to parent as our kids discover how to be people. Yeah, I, I, I read from that same book. I'm on the same way. Like I say, my oldest is 16. We never had a kid that's driven a car yet. So we're still very much uh, a drop in the bucket along this journey. But one of the things I do talk about here, Bodie, on the show is uh, when there is no uh, father in the picture, we're seeing that in our country. We have a fatherless crisis where so many, especially young boys that don't have uh, even a guidance or a presence of a father. Boy, things can get really off the rails quickly with these young men all, all along the country. And I think it's really the number one social issue we have going on in our country. If we can get more dads just to be back involved with their kids' lives, I think so many of the issues we're having would start to go away quickly. What's your take? 
Yeah, I think I've said it for years. And, you know, it's a, it's an old cliche. It takes a village, right? But, like, I will admit very openly, my kids don't listen to me. I mean, I'm sure they do listen to me, but they don't listen to me for shit. If you talk to them, they'll listen to you. So I'm very proactive with other people's kids. I'm, I'm coaching a soccer thing down in town for a bunch of kids. And, and I think there's a real value to that. And I think it touches exactly on what you said. Like, yes, a father can leave, but there's always other men around, period. And those men have to then step up and be a mentor to that young person. Because while they, of course, want their father, their blood or their genetic father, the reality is we've seen it a million times, right? Like my father was fantastic. I love him. But he did leave when I was six. My uncle was essentially my surrogate father. And then I had several coaches who were fatherish figures to me. And I had even like older just people I knew who weren't anywhere near old enough to be a father, but who were father figures to me. And, you know, I can say I've been father figures to even friends of mine just because of the way my brain works. And that part I think is really underappreciated that the fact is it's a protective thing, right? We live in a culture right now. That's a little funny about that, but like I parent anyone's kids that I see, I'm not afraid to sit them down and be like, Hey, what are you doing? Like think, right? Like, this is what you need to be doing, like manners, like pay attention. And the only reason I do that is because it feels so natural to me. But also, consequently, I've seen that if they do that to my kids, it has a huge impact on them because kids just they have that somehow like they're used to us and they hear this wah, 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 all the time. They just they tend to tune it out, whereas a different parent, they listen 80 percent more so. You know, I, I think that is ultimately going to be the, the savior of our culture is when when parents tend to allow other people to engage with their kids and do vice versa so that they can all create that kind of, um, I would say, what we evolved through at some point, right, where we all parented each other's kids. It was just a responsibility we had to try to any young person you saw, you tried to help them out. You tried to help them figure out how to be a good human. Yeah, yeah, right on with that. And I can remember that, too. Just if you got in trouble in the neighborhood, the first call would go right to your parents and they wouldn't go complaining that the neighbor did it. You know what I mean? They, they came right back to you. So I do wish we could get back to somewhat of that. And plus, it seems like now most people live in communities where they don't even know who their neighbors are. I think I remember here in New Jersey, like because of Superstorm Sandy, we met neighbors that we didn't know in the same, you know, for the first time. And it was because we were all forced without electricity. You're living right next to that would have been a huge resource. And that's that's a shame. Considering what we've done with technology and connectivity, the fact that we don't connect is because of the reach, right? We have so much reach now. We can we can reach people on different sides of the world. And so we don't look right next door. But that's the most important. And at least in the family sense, we need to know the people right around us, the people we interact with all the time, because ultimately they become co-parents with us. Yeah, very well said. And so What's next for you here? What are you currently working on right now? What kind of projects are in the works for you? What's next? I um, mean, I have a million things I do. Peak Ski Company, this one's on my hat. Um, we're launching a ski company right now. We're going sort of full press with our, our e-com site. That's exciting. I have a couple other, a sensor company that I really like that sort of helps people learn to ski, teach them, gives data on their skiing things that I wish I had when I was racing, but more for the recreational market. Um, you know, I, mostly, honestly, like I'm, I'm fitting four or five businesses into the 4% of the time where I'm not managing my kids or my wife. So <laughs> it's, um, it's good. It's, you know, 
I cannot, my wife actually commented on it the other day. She's like, man, we have a good life right now. And I was like, yep, that is, I said it to my mom maybe four months ago. I was like, this, I think this is the happiest I've ever been. And it's just a balance because it's healthy in the sense that I have a ton going on, but I'm very open and honest with them. I say, look, dude, if I can't do it, I'm just going to tell you and you better deal with it. And if you need to like fire me, even though I'm like typically an owner or something, <laughs> like do what you need to do. Like I'll deal with it. Like that's no problem. But my kids are my priority and my wife and like, that's what we're doing. And that's it. And so they deal with it. And then I have constantly things I feel like I'm doing out in the world and trying to make things better and, and doing fun projects. But mostly it's just um, engaging as much as I can with the kids and, and then finding my moments for myself to like recharge and then uh, go to sleep and do it again. It's, uh, it's one of the craziest routines that you would imagine if you're 20 and then now I'm 44 and I, I'm like, this is exactly the right routine. It's just a, it's a grind. And like, it's just like being a professional athlete. It's just like, do your thing, like execute and then go to bed. And is it done? No. And right away in the morning, it starts again and there is no winning. It's just go as long as you can, as hard as you can. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. Awesome to hear you firing on all cylinders over there. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Bodie. Uh, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Um, I think it's probably along those same lines. Just just revisit your priorities, right? Like life is a long thing and it's got a lot of shenanigans, right? And we typically as men are pretty self-centered, pretty ego to like we tend to do our own shit. So when you have that, I think every guy has that priority shift where it feels very like, Oh my God, I got to pay attention to this little person. But you have to kind of, I think dive into that a little deeper, maybe than just that superficial thing, because it's going to play in over a very long period of time. It's not just because they were just born. You just want to like zone in on them and like not talk to anybody else. Right? Like that's not sustainable. So it has to become this thing where you recognize where does this new aspect of my life fit in and how am I going to balance that with my business with my personal life with my free time and it might sound a little unromantic in that sense but like it's really important because they ultimately will hold a place of almost either top priority or like right at the top of your priority list but if they don't find if you don't think it through and find a balance they get all you get all kinds of weird stuff going on. Like you got to think it through and like actually be comfortable with where they stand. And when somebody asks you, you tell them honestly, like that's a really good, I always say about our soccer stuff, like tell the truth. If somebody asks you, tell the truth and then think it through and make sure you're telling the truth. Where are they on your priority scale? Are they first? Are they second? Like what if something happens? Run scenarios. Like where do they fall? Like, you know, if they're just a little sick, but not like deathly sick, like where does that, what does that mean for your, your, your golf game? What does that mean for, you know? And those are things that if you get into that place mentally, you'll be better as a father. You'll be more comfortable. You won't live this kind of, it's a big shift, right? It's a, it turns things upside down for you. So you have to kind of, I would say, take a manual approach to that process. That's my advice. 
Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Bodie Miller, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. You have Appreciate been listening it, to First thank Class you. Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.